G'day, g'day! Welcome to Game Day with Gabe. I'm your host, Gabe the Babe, and you're about to get an insight to the college football world. And if you like these episodes, please subscribe to keep Gabe the Babe going. Go Kooks! What's up, Kooks fans? Welcome back to Game Day with Gabe. I'm so excited that BYU won at number 7 Kansas. That is the biggest win top 5 program history. That was such a clutch win, and it's necessary for the Cougs. We can get a good seed now in both tournaments. Like the Big 12 tournament, we have a good seed option. And now the NCAA tournament, we can also get a 5 seed and play in Utah. So, all of this and more coming up in Gabe the Babes episode. This one is about BYU basketball. It's going to be so hype. So, what did we do? We've had some home success this year. We've beat teams such as Iowa State, Baylor, UCF, Kansas State, and Texas. On the road, we've had struggles. We've lost to five teams. Those teams are Baylor, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Oklahoma State. So obviously, mix and match. We've been doing okay, though, overall. We're 8-7 and seven and ranked number 5 in the Big 12 right now. We're behind teams like number 1 is Houston, number 2 is Iowa State, and then there's Kansas and Baylor. Those are the teams in front of us. Behind us, there's Texas Tech and TCU vying for our number five spot. So we've got to keep on winning if we want to keep our good seed in the Big 12 tournament. But our road struggles have changed a bit since the game at Kansas. That game at Kansas was special. It was only our third win all year, coming after the win at UCF and at West Virginia. And then we go into Allen Fieldhouse, nicknamed The Fog, and we, we dub them. We absolutely beat them, and I don't know how we did it. It's probably because they missed a lot of shots, but we just played overall awesome. It was one of our best games of the entire season because we won at Kansas. Maybe not our cleanest game. We've played better games before, like the game we played against Texas, Iowa State. We've played better games. I You see everywhere. Um, but like this game wasn't our prettiest, but their game was really ugly. So that helped us a lot in our win against Kansas. We haven't beat them since 1960. That's so wild. Dallin Hall and Jackson Robinson were our two-man punch in this game. They were the guys who carried us to the win. Basically, they had 18 points both, and Dallin Hall had two step-back threes late in the game to help us win. Our first lead came 59-58 to with five minutes left in the game. So it was a long time until we led in this game. We were trailing for most of it, and then right at the end, we surged. Number one for Kansas, Dickinson. He's the center. He went 6 for 15 on free throws in this game, so he was ice cold. And the fact that he shot 15 free throws means we knew we could foul him, and he would miss them. Late in the game, he missed a pair of crucial free throws that would have let Kansas back in the game, but he missed them. So, because of this free throw struggle for Kansas, let's look at the stats. We had an 80% free throw percentage. They only had a 60% free throw percentage. And that's the difference maker. Because we couldn't make free throws earlier in the season, we've worked and worked and worked and improved our free throws. And Kansas hasn't uh, done the same thing as us. That's how we won free throws and making shots. Playing smart. Kansas was also very favored in this game by the refs. At one point in the game, the refs were home cooking. If you don't know, home cooking means that the refs like to generally call fouls on the opposing team. 
So, like, if we play at Kansas, the rest will call fouls on BYU to help Kansas out. And, like, the clock operators will always play it to Kansas' advantage. Every And, like, the whole stadium is in Kansas' favor, even the refs sometimes. And everyone knows it. Like, home cooking is a thing. And so, at one point in the game, Kansas had five fouls. We had 21. It was so uneven in that regard. Home cooking right there. But, you know how we made up for that on fouls? We hit threes. We made 13 threes in this game, a lot of them coming in the second half. They only hit three. In an interview, like a pregame interview earlier in the week, Kansas coach uh, Bill Self had a thought that if BYU made 13 threes and Kansas made three, that's a 10-point, three-point. That's like 10 threes of a swing. That's a 30-point difference between them. That's how we ended up winning. He spoke it into, into action. Because of that, we... We cooked. Like, we were on 35% free throw shooting, and they were really, really bad on free th- on three-point shooting. They were 20%, we were 38%, in fact. So, we live and die by the three. We lived by the three in this game. Big-time win for the Cougs. A top-five win all-time in program history. The last time BYU's done something as crazy as this was actually pretty recently. It was in 2017 against number one Gonzaga. It was like an 89-81 to 81 win, comeback win on the road. Shocker to end Gonzaga's undefeated season. They were 28-0 coming into this game, and we handed them their first loss, the last game of the season. What a wild game. That was so good. Beating number one Gonzaga on the road, just unheard of. And then we went into the fog seven years later and got a dub over Kansas. Let me read you a really fun stat. On the 2nd of February... Sorry, on the 25th of February, 2011, so the date for this game is 2-25-2011, we had a top 10 win at San Diego State against, like, Kauai with, when we had Jimmer and stuff. And then six years later, the date was 2-26-2017, which is February 26, and it was our top 10 win against number one Gonzaga on the road. And then seven years later, the date was 2 27 2024, top 10 win at number 7, Kansas. Now, the dates go 225, 226, and 227. So, in a few years, we're going to have another top 10 win on the road on February 28th. That's what this stat is implying. Crazy that this happened. Anyway, BYU's been doing great with these with these wins this season. It's our fourth top 25 win for the Cougs. Most ever for us in a season. We've never had four AP Top 25 wins against this type of team, like this level of play, in a season before. And it's happened because of the Big 12, everyone is good. Everyone is good. And a lot of teams are going to be ranked. Whereas in the WCC, it just wasn't there for us. We didn't have the level of competition to actually play ranked opponents. And like in the Mountain West, it wasn't there either. There was only one, maybe two other teams. Like there was New Mexico, there was San Diego State maybe Air Force, but there wasn't as many top 25 teams. In the Big 12, let's see how many are ranked. Nine are projected in the March Madness, and about five are ranked. So it's wild, and it's actually not that crazy that we get four AP top 25 wins this season. There are teams in the Big 12 that have more. I'm sure Houston has a bunch, Baylor has a bunch, even Kansas probably has a bunch. It's doing great for us. Um, we've had, the streak that we broke going into the Allen Fieldhouse, 
This is what you take for granted when you listen to this. You don't take into consideration that Kansas hasn't lost a single home game all season. They last Their last home loss was last year. So basically, we're the first team to beat them all year at home. That's pretty impressive. So give the Cougs a pat on the back, because that was a big-time win. And it was a big-time win to help us out in their seeding in the tournaments. Now, heading into the game this Saturday, playing against TCU at home with all the hype, we can have a chance to go 9-7 and seven, and maybe even 10-8 and eight if we split Iowa State and Oklahoma State. That would be a dynamic Without a dynamic seed, that would get us probably a 5 or a 4 seed in the Big 12 tournament. We'd be able to win a game, maybe win two games, probably go to the quarter or the semifinals. Because everyone in the Big 12 tournament is going to be good. So it's tough to make a run. I'd say we get a 5 seed in the bracketology. The one that Joe Lunardi has us in right now is a 5 seed. And if we get a 5 seed, we can play in Salt Lake City. Because that's where Salt Lake City is going to play the 5 seed. And so if we can play in Salt Lake City, that's going to be a huge home court advantage to us. So we just got to keep on winning, win against TCU, split Iowa State and our and Oklahoma State, and we'll be good. We'll be 10-8, and 8 and we'll be set up for success in a late season uh, run. So basically, we broke a bunch of records for Kansas when we upset them. They don't lost to an unranked team at home. In a few years. I think it was 2017. That was the last time they lost to us. Or not, not to us, but to an unranked opponent at home. The last time uh, BYU's beat them was 1960. That's so wild. And it came on the road. Big win for the Cougs. Give it up for them. And let's go get another win this Saturday. So right now we're a lock for the tournament. And we're going to be, man, a good seed. I'm so hyped for it. If the season ended today... Like, we'd be 8-7, and seven, and we'd be in the NCAA tournament. We'd be a 5 seed in March Madness. But let's look, take a look at the Big 12 tournament. This is a format that hasn't been used at all, because they used to have 10 teams in the Big 12 until this year, where four teams, those teams are Houston, UCF, Cincinnati, and BYU. Those four teams joined the Big 12, causing it to go from 10 to 14. That changes the format of the Big 12 tournament. Normally, you just have the last four seeds in the Big 12 play in to get the final seeds of 7 and 8, and then you just do a regular format, like 1 plays 8, so-and-so. And then this year, it's going to be different. So the last four seeds are going to play again. It's going to be 11 through 14. Right now, the 11 through 14 would be UCF playing against Oklahoma State or, like, West Virginia for the last seed, and then there's Oklahoma State and... Kansas State, I don't know. There's some teams there in last place. They play in to get the 11 and 12 spots. And then on the second day, there's the 5 seed, which plays the 12 seed or the 13 seed. And then the 6 seed plays the 11 seed or the 14 seed. The 7 seed plays the 10 seed, and the 8 plays the 9. And it's more more um orthodox. But the, after that, it goes 1 to 8 and then 2 to 7, and then 3 to the winner of 6, or 11, or 14, and then 4 to the winner of 5, or 12, or 13. And the 1 can also play, like, instead of an 8, they could play a 9. The 2 could play a 10 instead of a 7. There's a bunch of things that happen. It'll make sense if you do a visual, because you can visualize, oh, this is the bracket, and this is what who BYU is going to play 
if so-and-so wins. Right now, it would look like we would play the winner of UCF in West Virginia, being the five seed. We're going to have to win about four games to take home a Big 12 tournament title. Or we might just lose, because it's single elimination tournament, so if you lose, you're done. We'd have to win a game against a lesser seed, then we'd play up a, a big team, we'd play up another big team in the semis, and then if we made it to the final, we would play in the final. I can't even imagine a Big 12 tournament for BYU's first year in the Big 12 would be historic. It would be amazing, but also unheard of. Think about it. Has any team, like, first year joining a conference actually won a Big 12 tournament? Not that I can recall. So it would be historic for all of college basketball. It would set a bunch of records. Our next three games to see how we're going to play out are going to be TCU at home, and then Iowa State on the road Wednesday, and then Oklahoma State at home. Realistically, we're going to go 2-1. and one. I think that we're going to beat TCU and Oklahoma State. They're both winnable games, and I'll tell you why. TCU plays physically, and they play fast, but their weakness is consistent offense. They don't have a reliable shooter, point guard, um, big power. Actually, they do have power forwards, but they don't have like a reliable shooter like BYU does, and that's how we can beat them. If we play smart and shoot good shots and match their aggressiveness, I think we can easily win this game. It's at home at the Marriott Center. No problem. Then Iowa State, that's going to be a really tough game. Like, even harder than winning at Kansas. So probably not going to happen. You never know. We did it against Kansas. Maybe we pull another upset and beat Iowa State. And then beat Oklahoma State at home. That would probably get us to a three seed in the Big 12. Completely unrealistic, but that's what would happen in that scenario. We're probably going to lose to Iowa State because they are smart. They like to control the flow of the game. They also play aggressive on defense and get a lot of steals. And a team that plays that smart and that game plan, that game plan is good. And it's going to win 90% of the time, or like 95% of the time at home. If you're playing like BYU, if BYU has an on day, we could keep it close. But if we have an off day, it'll be more of a blowout. We can break their game plan by making big plays and silencing the crowd. Because the Hilton Coliseum is one of the best stadiums in all of college basketball, Iowa State has not lost a single home game there all year, just like Kansas had not Allen Fieldhouse, the fog, is so, so classic, historic, What and the student section, it's wild. You should see the videos and the pictures from that game. Absolutely wild. BYU somehow got the win. Crazy. But the Hilton Coliseum for Iowa State, back to this, it's going to be tough to break. So we have to break their game plan by making big plays and silencing the crowd. And that will help us a little bit. And then we have to have an on-day on the three-point shooting. So there's a lot of conditions that need to be met in order for BYU to get a win at Iowa State. Probably a bit unrealistic. But a realistic win is playing at home to Oklahoma State. They're a young team with a a few freshmen that thrive at home, but they will struggle at the Marriott Center. They've never played anywhere like the Marriott Center just because of the elevation. They've played in big stadiums. You get that. Like Kansas and Iowa State, Baylor, they've done it. But the Marriott Center has elevation. It has the rock. It has Cosmo. It's got everything. It's the full package. So I think that when Oklahoma State comes to Provo, they'll be struggling quite a bit. We can easily break their game plan by playing smart. And if we play smart and force stops on defense and protect the ball like an experienced team would do, we would cook them. We would absolutely blow them out. 
The only reason they beat us was because we had a terrible day shooting. They had an amazing day shooting, and they also had a good game plan. They're athletic. They're so athletic, and they have good shooters. That's what they showed against us. So we can stop that by playing great defense, like the one we did against Texas. The way we played defense against Texas just locked him down, except for one player, Dylan DeSue. If we can lock um, Oklahoma State down again, then we would probably go 2-1 and one in our next three games, and we would be primed for a good seed in the Big 12 tournament. And that's coming up March 12th to 16th. The day after the Big 12 tournament is Selection Sunday, where the field of 68 is revealed. So exciting. All right, we've talked a bunch of college basketball. Let's talk college football now. Once again, the CFP committee, which is made up of coaches, athletic directors, and uh, presidents from around the college football landscape, their committee is discussing a new playoff format. We've just gone to 12 teams for this season of 2024 and 2025. What they're talking about is in 2026. They might make a 3-3-2-2-1-3 format. This 3-3-2-2-1-3 format means that there's three automatic bids from the SEC and the Big Ten. So each of those conferences, since, since they're the superior conferences, they will get more bids than the other conferences. Three for each, and then two bids for the Big 12 and two for the ACC, and then one bid from a group of five, like the uh, AAC or the Mountain West or the Sun Belt. And then three at-large spots going to the highest ranked teams. And Notre Dame is also an at-large spot if they are in the highest, like in the 14, top 14 teams at the end of the season. So I personally don't like it. It's supportive of the SEC and it's supportive of the Big Ten. And it's supportive of the super conferences, which will eventually lead to the super conferences breaking away from the college football uh college football games completely, they might just form their own league together, the SEC and the Big Ten. Looks like two super conferences of 30 or so teams. And then that's not going to work out too well because all the other teams are going to get left in the dust. It'll be so uneven. There'll be money going everywhere. It'll just be a mess. And I think eventually they will have to stop and say, hey, what are we doing with this college football? We have a bunch of history that we need to keep up. And let's just make it regional again. If we make it regional, the transfer portal is evening out talent. And because of that, we can play regional rivalries, we can play regional classic games, we can make conferences out of the regions. So the West can be a conference, the South can be a conference, the North can be a conference, and the East can be a conference. And then basically you'd have four conferences of all regional spots, and it would work really well. And I think they should just put their heads together and do this eventually. But as of right now, they're still focusing on, we need to get bigger, we need more money, TV revenue, etc. And that's the CFP committee for you. More money. That's what they're caring about. Anyway, moving on to the NFL. The NFL and the Rams are looking into Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson's a free agent now, let go by the Jets because he needs to get out of New York. And now the Rams are looking into him. They have Puka Nakua, keep that in mind. They never played together, but I'm sure they overlapped a bit at BYU, if you know what I mean. And so those two would have a really good connection. He could learn from Matthew Stafford. He could have a decent offensive line, and that would be good for him if he could go to LA and basically revive his career that, that basically faltered and sputtered and died at the New York Jets. 
his NFL career has basically gone to nothing. If he could get with the Rams and get good coaching and then actually get an offensive line to protect him, he could be a great quarterback. You see his talent, his arm strength, his vision. He's got a good package. He just doesn't have the offensive line and the experience he needs to be a successful quarterback in the NFL. And that just takes time. So I think it might not develop for him. It might not work out. But there's a small chance it could. If the Rams could go get him, pair him with Puka Nakua, pair him with Matthew Stafford, and Sean McVay, the head coach of the LA Rams, he could have a chance at reviving his career, which would be good for him, because I am happy for BYU alumni getting good shots in the NFL. 17 days till March Madness. It's coming up really quick. That's less than three weeks. That's basically two weeks away until we get the Field of 68 revealed, and we can make brackets for March Madness. Let me share some of my favorite things about March Madness with you real quick, and then I'll finish this podcast. Well, my favorite things about March Madness are the brackets that you get to pick. There are a bunch of formats that you get to do, like ESPN does a bracket, there's CBS that does a bracket, NCAA.com does a bracket. What you do is you go into the field of 68, and you pick the winners for every single game. And the odds of that are like one in a trillion, basically. There's no shot that anyone's going to get a perfect bracket. But what you do is you pick like the winners and who you think is going to win for each game. Obviously, you know me, I would love this bracket because I get to make predictions and <laughs> analyze each team and who's going to win. Honestly, it doesn't go that well for me because I usually analyze and pick who I think should win. Never do that. I recommend never picking who you think is going to win in March Madness because upsets are always going to happen. That's one thing that's true to March Madness. You can count on upsets. I guarantee it. So one thing that's, that's my favorite is watching these upsets come into play. It busts my bracket sometimes. Even sometimes it takes my winner out, who I have winning the whole bracket, gets upset by like a 15 seed or a 16 seed. It's happened before. In fact, in 2018, Virginia was upset by UMBC in the first round. And that was my bracket winner. The next year, Virginia won the all. And so, it's just unlucky, it's just luck how it all plays out, but you can like create groups with your brackets and see out of these five people who does the best, who makes the best picks, and whose picks are most accurate, where did, they, where did teams get in the tournament, it's so much fun. March Madness brackets, I totally recommend it, and it's dropping in a couple weeks. So BYU is going to be in good position, Salt Lake City, to make a run. Hopefully we can keep that Salt Lake City spot, because that would be a huge home court advantage. It would basically guarantee us a first round and probably a second round victory. It would get us into the Sweet 16, the second week of March Madness, which would be so lit. Gabe's game this week is going to be Kansas at Baylor. Man, can you believe how big this game is? Houston played at Baylor last Saturday. It was such a good game. I haven't even talked about it. Okay, so let's talk about Houston and Baylor real quick. This game was down to the wire. Houston jumped out to a big lead. They were up by 10 or 20 at halftime over Baylor on the road. And Houston does this because they pass really well, and they know how to break the zone on defense. Just watching them play for a bit, Baylor set up a zone, and Houston has guys spread around the court, and they do sharp, quick passes, bounce passes, chest passes, and then shots that are high percentage. And that's just what they did over and over. And if there's a guy open at three, they would kick it out to a three. Then anyway, their offense was so efficient, so successful, they were up big on Baylor. 
Baylor came back because they're playing at home. They made big shots with Jalen Bridges, their shooter. He's so talented. And they have uh, Yves Missy. That's the true freshman that took on, that uh, basically clamped on BYU. He was so athletic for a freshman. He's like 6'7", big body, three, 280 pounds, 270 pounds. No shot that anyone's going to beat him because he's like going to the NBA draft already. He's a beast. He helped them out a little bit. Jalen Bridges helped them out a little bit. Ray J. Dennis, their point guard, helped them out. Baylor's got a really talented team and a great head coach. Um, I can't remember the head coach's name right now. But they have a great team, great fan base, and a home court advantage right on the river in Baylor, Baylor University. It's a really good home court advantage anyway. They came back to Houston, evened it up. It even went to overtime. Houston actually hit a three-point shot, but it was 0.2 seconds late. It came off the hand just as the timer was hitting zero. And because of that, it doesn't count. And so Houston didn't get the buzzer beater, but they did get the dub in overtime because they hit free throws, played smart. They know overtime. They've done it before this season. That's how Houston got a win at Baylor. So hopefully we can get something more like that with Kansas at Baylor. But keep in mind, Kansas has had a lot of road struggles this season. And now they just dropped a game to BYU. Maybe this would mean they're playing more angry and they come out and get a win in Baylor, which would be massive for them. Or maybe it means they fall more into their slump because it's unlikely they're going to come out of it. Kansas at Baylor is going to be so good. I don't know which way it's going. It could go either way, honestly. Maybe if Kansas gets Kevin McCullough Jr., their shooting guard, who makes so many points every game, creates shots for himself. If they can get him back, they could have a better shot at beating Baylor. So that's going to be Gabe's game along with TCU at BYU. TCU at BYU is just going to be so fun in the Marriott Center. I highly recommend watching these two games on this Saturday. And they're Gabe's game, everybody. Thanks for listening to this podcast. As always, if you enjoyed it, please make sure to share with a fellow avid Cougs fan. Let's keep Gabe the Babe going and support Gabe and Day with Gabe. If you want, you can even add a donation to this podcast. Let's go Cougs! Thank you.